Children, you are dismissed to children's... You want this water? No? Okay. There you go. You're welcome. I don't need it. Uh, children, you're dismissed. Uh, thanks a lot, Robert and uh, the worship band. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. Um, so encouraged um, to be with you this morning. Uh, hate to be away, but thank you for those who were praying for our family as we had a spring break. And I just want to say to you college students, I feel so bad for you that you didn't have a spring break. Uh, it, it's needed, isn't it? Like to have a spring break, to be able to know the middle of the semester what you have to work towards, you have that break, and then you kind of get fueled for the rest of the semester. Not to have that, it's almost like, I don't know, I don't know how you can even do that well. But some of y'all are doing that well. Some of you are holding on, and uh, I want to pray for you that uh, God would give you energy as you move to the end of the semester. Uh, some of us cheated and took spring breaks when they weren't supposed to, and you know who you are. Um, and, uh, so, and, uh, but, uh, so our family took a spring break and visited with family that I don't get to do very often. And I have family kind of spread all over the place. And anytime that we can get actually come together in one group is very rare. And so that happened this past week and it was such a treat and such a blessing to be able to do that. While we do believe in the family of the church, right, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also do have brothers and sisters and cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles and moms and dads that we also really cherish and love and that are very much important to us. God blesses, gives, blesses us with them. You know, sometimes they can fill our lives with drama, but uh, it's also uh, important to have those people and it's important to be able to see them and, and, and be able to interact with them. And so um, I just encourage you if, you, if you are someone who has struggled to be in connection with your family, uh, I want to encourage you to, to reach out to them this, today or this week. If you haven't talked to a brother or a, a mom or a dad or an aunt or uncle or a grandparent, take this week to do that and, and see how, how they're doing and how you can pray for them. Um, we are going to continue our, our series in the book of Colossians. This is actually our last sermon. Uh, we are going to be, obviously for Easter, we're going to be uh, kind of having a, a, a special two-part series on the gospel uh, one on Friday night for Good Friday, uh, Pastor Denton will be preaching from Romans chapter 3, um, and I will be preaching on Sunday through Acts 17 uh, and the resurrection of Christ. And so please want to encourage you to be here if you're going to be in town. Bring somebody with you. Uh, it's always a, 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 you can always can probably kind of get people to get into church on an Easter, right? They kind of feel compelled to go because it's Easter, but we're going to preach the gospel, the good news. We're going to take advantage of that opportunity to preach the simple good news message of Christ on Friday night and on Sunday morning. So um, we're in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to finish up what Pastor Ditton started. Uh, he ended in verse 17, um, and I'm going to start in verse 18. And I'm, I, we're actually going to, unfortunately, not, we only have so many weeks, unfortunately. If we, had, if we didn't have Easter coming up, we would probably finish Colossians 4, 7 through 18, but I'm going to stop at verse 6. I apologize, but that's kind of the way we had to do it with the amount of time we had. So uh, starting in verse 18, going to verse chapter 4, verse 6. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not, do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. 
We're so thankful for this book, this letter to the, the church in Colossae. I know that we are like 2,000 plus years separated from this, uh, this, this letter, but it is so rich, Lord, and it's so timely and you know, how it applied to that church in the first century and how it also applies to a church in the 21st century. How remarkable is your word? That is authoritative then, and it's also authoritative now. We praise you for that. We thank you how you use Paul, our brother in Christ, Lord, to instruct and to, and to guide us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we finish this letter today, Lord, that we would be faithful to it, that you would teach your church and guide it to faithfulness and maturity in Christ. Lord, we pray for Redeemer, especially this morning, Lord. We, we pray for those who are not with us. Lord, we pray for those who are traveling, who are watching sick kids. Lord, we pray for those who are still not with us because of fear due, due to COVID. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bring us together. Maybe with Easter coming up next week, Lord, may that be the, the moment where we feel like we're all together. May other churches around our city and around our country and our world feel very much united next Sunday when we worship and praise the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, the founder of our faith. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the title of this sermon is The Lord of Your Life. I hope you're seeing kind of a pattern that this book is a lot about the lordship of Christ, that he is the Lord. He is the Lord of all, as we've kind of titled this series, The Lord of All, that he is also the Lord of your life. And um, there's a, when I, when I, before, I, before I went to seminary in Louisville, I was uh, on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. If you don't know what that is, Campus Crusade for Christ is a campus ministry very similar to Campus Outreach or the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, any of these type of, of campus ministries. Uh, obviously, so I, I, was, I worked for this organization in Sweden, and then I worked for this organization at the University of Tennessee. And one of the things that you are taught is the four laws. The four laws are this kind of evangelism tool or technique that Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, came up with. And so you get very familiar with the four laws. And it's basically, it's four simple kind of points that are made, and you share the gospel through these four points. It kind of starts with that God loves you and has a plan for your life, that kind of thing. And then it goes to the next part that you have fallen because of sin, and then God brought, sent Christ into the world to die on the cross to forgive you of that sin. Then you get to the fourth law, and I'll get to that in just a second, but... A book that I've been reading while I was on vacation is called Deep Discipleship, and it's a very good book about discipleship, and uh, he talks about one of the issues with discipleship in American churches today. It's kind of a disease or a cancer, and one of these, these, these cancers, one of these uh, diseases that are plaguing discipleship in the American church is the self-centered discipleship. Where, and, he, and he writes that the, uh, well, he, he kind of coins this phrase that the self and being true to yourself alone is your highest goal. And, and actually the church kind of falls into this trap of, because uh, the culture is saying this, and the church kind of goes, well, that's what the culture is saying, and that's what people want, then we should just give people what they want, which is make people feel good about themselves, helping them understand their true self. And, and in a sense, we've replaced the transcendent, transcendent God with the transcendent self. That the self actually is the authoritative voice in your life, not God. David Wells, who wrote a book about the church, says the shift from God to self as the central focus of faith is one of the problems with the culture today. And actually, actually one of the problems with the culture in, in the American church today as well is that the self has now become the central focus of faith, not God, not Christ. Jesus, not the Bible. So being true to yourself so how do you become true to yourself while also following Christ to the cross? How do you carry your cross, right? How do you follow Christ by carrying your cross if your entire central focus of your faith is to determine what's best about yourself or what is best about you or being true to yourself? How does that match up? How does the cross of Christ and following Christ and denying self match up with being true to yourself? Those are contradictions 
And so when the church is trying to argue or trying to disciple people to be true to themselves, while also the Bible is saying deny yourself and take up your cross, there are some major issues, major contradictions, a disease, a plague, a virus that is infecting discipleship in the church. Discipleship is about self-denial. It's so interesting about the Matthew 16 passage is just in that passage, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And obviously, obviously Peter gets the right answer, doesn't he? He says, well, you're Christ, the son of the living God. But what's, what's the problem with the disciples, even in that answer, is that they're thinking, yeah, he's Christ, the son of the living God, therefore he's going to rule on an earthly throne, and I'm going to also rule on an earthly throne. What does Jesus follow that up with? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's in the same passage. So Jesus is saying that to follow me, to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. The, the writer of the, the book, Deep Discipleship, says, you will know yourself the most when you carry your cross and follow after Christ Jesus the Lord. You will know yourself the most, not by determining what's best for yourself, not, defi- not making yourself the transcendent voice in your life, you will know yourself the most when you carry your cross and follow after Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Lord. What's so interesting about the importance of the Lord is because Paul in this letter to the Colossae church is continuing to refer to to Jesus as the Lord, as the authoritative voice in that church's life and also the authoritative verse in our life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Christ as the Lord. So getting back to the four laws. The fourth law in the four spiritual laws, the kind of the the evangelism tool of the Campus Crusade for Christ ministry, it says we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know God personally and experience his Love and so what they what they have in the booklet and you can actually you learn it so well you can do this by memory is that you write two circles and so you write one circle and you have, you build a chair so you can I'm not a very good drawer so my chair is like a one line and a, another line it's pretty pretty simple but you get the idea that you build a throne basically in this circle and you put S for self on the throne you put all these different dots in the circle and you put Christ, or you put a cross outside the circle, which is to display or to kind of uh, show that the person's interests are directed by self, resulting in discord and frustration. It's a self-directed life. Christ, you are on the throne. You determine what's best for you. Christ is not even in the picture. Then you write, you draw a circle, and you put Christ on the chair, and you put yourself on the foot of the chair, bowing before Christ, and you have all the dots in the circle, so all the things in your life, all your interests are actually directed by Christ, resulting in deep discipleship. What I like to do is write a third circle, and I think that third circle represents a lot of Christians is that you write this circle, you do all the dots, you write, draw the chair, you put self on the chair, and Christ is somewhere in the circle. He's a part of your life, but he's not Lord. He, he's a part of your thinking, but he's not Lord. He's a part of your direction of your life, but kind of, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll refer to Jesus in his word, but it's not going to be my authoritative or sole authority in my life. The Lord is Lord of all. Christ is the Lord of all. Everything about what we've learned in this, in this book, in this letter, starting in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, is that Christ is the Lord of everything. He is preeminent over everything. He is, everything was created through him. He is the Lord. He is authoritative over everything. And Paul even says that he struggled and he toiled in his ministry for the church in Colossae so that they would, be present, they would be presented mature in Christ. Why? Because Christ is the Lord. It's important that his people, his church, are matured into the likeness of the Lord, of the King, of the preeminent one, the one who's, been, who's created all things through himself and who actually came into the world, died, but then rose again and conquered sin and death 
We see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been raised with Christ, your life is now hidden in Christ, you've been filled with him in Colossians 2, 9 through 10, you have actually been filled with the divine power of Jesus Christ. Your old life has died That life of self-actualization, that self-directed life where you're on the throne and you dictate everything about your life has been discarded, it's been taken away because you have now put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've now been risen up in Christ. You've now been united in Christ. You've been hidden in Christ. The old person, the old Matt, the old Jacob, the old Lucas, the old Rhonda is dead. It's old. It's dead. It's been discarded. And you are new in Christ. You've been clothed with the new creation. Paul says in, here in Colossians chapter 3, to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Rule. Not have a part. Not to be a, a partial part of your, of, your, of your heart, but to rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he gets to verse 17 as a summary of that whole paragraph. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. If you've been hidden in Christ, if you have you put your faith in him and you have, have are new in Christ, you've been raised up with him, he's your Lord. And so do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is the Lord. I used to play for this basketball team when I was in Virginia. My grandfather remembers this. And I had a great basketball coach, uh, Coach Milton. And he always, we didn't ever say, we never said go team or go whatever, flames, I think is what our name was. It was always Jesus is Lord was always what we used. We were going to a Christian school. And, and you always put your hands in the middle every, every time out or whatever. And we always were say, Jesus is Lord. And so, and what, what the point was to be made there is that when we played basketball, we were playing under the Lord, right? We weren't playing for ourselves. We weren't playing for our teammates. We weren't even playing for our school. We were playing for the Lord. And so therefore should act accordingly by playing for the Lord. He is Lord. He is the Lord of your life. So the kind of the main idea here is when you display the Lordship of Christ in your life, in your family and in workplace, you declare the mystery of Christ to the outside world. When you display the lordship of Christ in your life, in your family, and workplace, you declare the mystery of Christ to the outside world. So kind of a, a way to summarize that, kind of a, uh, this is the main, main, main point. If you're writing notes, Christ and Christ alone is your highest goal. Not yourself, not your family, not your work. Christ and Christ alone is your highest good. Why? Because he's the Lord of all. If he is the Lord of all, he is the preeminent one over everything, then he is the highest good in your life. And that is true for every person who's ever existed in the world or ever will exist in the world. Regardless if you're a Christian or not, Christ Jesus is still the Lord. I hate that theology that says that you have to make Jesus Lord. No, he is Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. He's already the Lord of your life. He's already preeminent. Just read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He's already the Lord. You don't have to make him that. He is the Lord. The problem is you recognize him as Lord. And that's what I'm going to argue is that he is the Lord of your life. The best thing you can do is recognize that truth and make him your highest goal. So point number one, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 of chapter 3 is kind of a thesis statement for the rest of this chapter. He is Do everything in the name of the Lord, in word and deed, do in the name of the Lord. If you want to be successful, if you want to be godly, if you want to be Christ-like, in your family, in your workplace, then do everything in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says here, and I'm not going to go into extreme details. Uh, We've done a a series on marriage and stuff, so I'm going to kind of go through this, and I may not give it all the details that you may want uh, but we will be um, faithful to the text here. But I want to focus on what he says to each, each one of these different roles and responsibilities here at the end of chapter 3. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I want to focus on this fitting in the Lord. 
And that is extremely important here. I think sometimes people read this passage and they cut off the fitting in the Lord and just connect, just focus on submit to their husbands or submit to your husband. Another way to kind of write or to read fitting in the Lord is in a manner that is proper in the Lord. Wives and husbands are to consider how their behavior is to be influenced by Christ's lordship. I'm just going to go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 16, which is good because I wasn't here on Sunday, so I get to read this over again. Uh, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another as if one, uh, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also, may, also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There is a lifestyle that is being presented here in chapter 3, 12 through 16, that if you're in Christ, this is your new lifestyle. And so if you are a wife in here, or you're going to be a wife someday, or you hope to be a wife someday, if you want to ask, how do I be a wife that's faithful to the Lord? Then read Colossians 3, 12 through 16. To, to show, as one who is holy and beloved, showing a compassionate heart, being kind, being humble, being meek, being patient, bearing one another, forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you, put on love, let the peace of Christ rule in you, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Christ is the ultimate Lord. So if you want to know how do I be a good wife that is, that is honorable and respectful to my husband, then you look to Christ and you do what is fitting to the Lord. And I think what happens is, is that wives and husbands struggle in their roles in their home because they do not consider their actions and responses and decisions in ways that are fitting to the Lord. They make their decisions, they speak their mind, they uh, do things in ways that they just do because it makes them feel good or it validates what they're thinking or feeling, and they don't even consider if this is fitting to the Lord. They don't even consider it. Paul kind of continues here, husbands are called to love their wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the Bible is calling you husbands or you future husbands to sacrificial love, to love them in ways that what? It's fitting to the Lord, that pleases the Lord. And I don't have to really go into many details on what that looks like. You know what that looks like. Just read Colossians 3, 12 through 16. Read other passages. Read the, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You read these passages and they instruct us on how we should act and how we should make decisions and how we should speak. And why we, when we do these things, when we follow God's word, when we operate in ways that the Bible commands us to, we're doing what pleases the Lord. We're doing things that, fit, that is fitting to the Lord, that's proper in the Lord. What's so interesting about this passage is what ends up happening is people go on so many rabbit trails and like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? What if my husband does this? What if my wife does that? What if da 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 And that, should I be, what should I do? Should, what, should I do, how should I operate? Well, Paul tells you. He limits the scope here. Submit in ways that are pleasing and fitting to the Lord. Don't submit in ways that are ungodly. If your husband is doing something ungodly and, and asks you or commands you to do it, you don't do it. You don't do things that are sinful. You do what is fitting in the Lord. You do what pleases the Lord. Only what is consistent with living faithfully in relationship to the Lord Jesus. So what brings up an important point to make in marriage is that wives, your ultimate authority is not your husband. It's the Lord Jesus. The same with you husbands, because honestly, a lot of marriages in the Christian faith is very, the wife rules and the husband just kind of does whatever the wife tells him to do. You just watch TV. In that situation, you ought to operate and love her in ways that is pleasing to the Lord. 
that is consistent with your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If she, uh, if you, the way that you spend your money, if, she, if, if your wife is telling you that we need to spend our money on all these different things and you don't think it's fitting to the Lord, well, then you ought to, ought, ought to love her, but also say, this is not fitting to the Lord. This is not pleasing to the Lord. Don't go in that, in that mindset, well, I'm just sacrificing. I, I'm just loving her by, by letting her do whatever she wants. That's not love, fellas. That's not love. You are commanded to do what is fitting to the Lord. Your ultimate authority in your life is the Lord. It's not your wife. The Lord is the Lord of your marriage. Christ is the Lord of all. Faithfulness to him is your ultimate role in the home. Accomplishing that, accomplishing, uh, accomplishing uh, that, by accomplishing being faithful to the Lord in your home is by putting on the new creational lifestyle that you see in verses 12 through 16. To have a compassionate heart, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek, to be patient, to bear with one another, forgive each other, to put on love, to let the, Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to be an effective husband, if you want to be an effective wife, the best thing that you can do is to put on the lifestyle that's being presented here in chapter 3. That is the best way that you can do it. You can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can go to all the counseling that you want. But if you don't do this, you will fail. You will fail in the home. Because the only way to be effective in those roles is to do what is fitting to the Lord. Because why? Because he's the highest goal. Good. He is the Lord of all. And I think what happens is, is we struggle to deny ourselves and follow Christ. That's why so many wives and so many husbands are so frustrated in their homes, is because they're struggling to deny themselves and to follow Christ. If you struggle to trust Christ and follow him in obedience, you will struggle to honor your husband in ways that are fitting to the Lord. If you struggle to love your wife in ways that are fitting to the Lord, it's because you are uh, unwilling to trust Christ and follow him in obedience. If you can't trust Christ, if you cannot trust him and trust his word and pray that the Holy Spirit would work through you, you will always struggle to love your wife. You will struggle to submit to your husband. Because you failed to bring honor to the ultimate Lord in your life, which is Christ. Paul continues here and says to children, uh, doing what is pleasing to the Lord is, is, children, obey your parents. Looking at verse, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. The importance of our relationships should be the most influential uh, uh, influence and, and authority in our life should be the Lord. Our obedience ultimately is directed by faith and love of Christ. Children, obey your parents because you love Christ and want to honor and serve Him. And I, I, I think... In our day and age, mothers are so much more involved in the raising of children. And back then in the first century, fathers were the ultimate authority in the home. And now we kind of live in a, in a different age where mothers are very much involved. But I think it's important for mothers and fathers is that we raise children in ways that please the Lord. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 to bring them up, to nourish them up in the word of the Lord. He says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We want, we want our children to fear the Lord, not us. We want our children to do what is fitting to the Lord, not what is fitting to us. We want our children to please the Lord, not us. We want our children whose lives to be directed by Christ, not us. We want our children to know and learn that Christ is the Lord of their life, not us. Parents, you may feel like the Lord of, their, of, the, of your children. In a lot of ways, you are, because you operate, you present rules, you instruct, and that it's good. But you want your children to ultimately fear the Lord and please Him, not you. 
If you are raising your children to fear you and serve you, you are failing. You're failing. They need to love and serve Christ. And by doing that, by serving and pleasing the Lord, they will honor you. They will honor you. I love how Paul just continues with this language throughout this passage in this, in this paragraph at the end of chapter 3, that talking about the authority of the Lord. He talks about bond servants to work in, in an attitude of fearing the Lord, not fearing your master. To work as of for the Lord, that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. Which is so insignificant here. He's talking to slaves in a, in a, in a culture where slavery was such a, a major part of the economic system of the Roman Empire. I mean, if you thought if y'all thought slavery was bad in the United States in the 19th century, you haven't seen nothing until you've seen the Roman Empire in the first century. Most people were slaves and had a master. So Paul is addressing this large group of, of people who are probably slaves. And he tells them what? He tells them to fear the Lord ultimately, not fear the master. To work as for the Lord, not as for the master. To recognize that he will, the master, the slave will receive an inheritance, which is absurd. Why would a slave ever hope for an inheritance? Slaves don't have any rights in the Roman Empire. To talk about inheritance is going back to the Old Testament, the allocation of lands. Slaves didn't get allocated land. What Paul is instructing these slaves is to have ultimate hope in the Lord and know that the Lord, their true master, their true Lord will give them an inheritance. And what is that inheritance? It's full salvation. It's like full acceptance by God. Eternal life with Christ. He's already, they've already experienced being resurrected in Christ, being hidden in Christ. Now, they look, look towards a greater inheritance. They will, be, they will be in the presence of the Lord. That they will be invited and welcomed. Their slavery and their role in this society had nothing to do with what their role is going to be in the next greater society. He tells the bondservants to serve the Lord. So he's talking about their, what, what should motivate, what should be our attitude. And I'm going to take it out of that context and present it into our context. Is that what we have in our context is we have employee and employer context and situation. You have a boss. And, and you are what? You are paid money to work and to do what the boss tells you to do. And so we can get so focused that on our motivation and our attitude of working is always boss-centric or company-centric. But Paul is telling us no, no, that's the wrong way to think. Christ should be the center of how you are motivated and what your attitude is at work. We shouldn't work because we fear our employer. And afraid if we don't show up to work that, that we're going to get fired. That should not be our, our fear. We should, our motivation and our attitude should be, should be rooted in the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of the, I, I'm a big fan of Seinfeld. I know Denton's a big fan of Seinfeld as well. So a lot of times we'll, we'll drop Seinfeld uh, quotes throughout the day. And uh, uh, I've discovered on Facebook that you can watch full episodes of Seinfeld. So I've been, when I was gone all week, uh, I go hide and watch an episode of Seinfeld once in a while because I'm a big fan of the show. But I, my favorite character in Seinfeld is George Costanza because uh, I think George is just he's he's just he's crazy and he just and he's uh, he's always got these schemes to get out of work. Um, but yet, when he worked for the Yankees, there's a, a few episodes where he worked for the Yankees, and he feared George Steinbrenner, right? And we all know that George Steinbrenner was a real person that he owned the owned the Yankees, and that he was a pretty uh, forceful man, as I say it that way. And the show kind of mocks that character and personality. So George is always fearful that he's going to get fired from the owner of the Yankees. And so his, his fear is always he's afraid of the owner, and, but yet he's still lazy and his attitude and motivation is pretty low. But the only thing that gets him to work or gets him to do what he's supposed to do, he's afraid to get fired. Paul would say to George that that's not a good reason for motivation or attitude in your work. We should work not because we want to honor our boss, not because we hope to receive a great reward from them, but because of our uh, uh, relationship to Christ Jesus. Because, as I said from uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 16, that lifestyle should actually change the way that we work. That we should work in the name of the Lord. 
that you do all things in the name of the Lord. He is our greater master. He is our greater Lord. He is the one who we receive an inheritance from. He's the one that we should fear. He's the one that we should serve because he is our ultimate Lord. He is the Lord of our life. Paul says here in in chapter 4, verse 1, talking to masters, masters who ought to treat their, uh, their workers with equality and treat them with justice, which was crazy back then because slaves didn't have any rights whatsoever. And yet Paul's instructing Christian uh, uh, masters that they should treat their slaves with equality and with justice. What's so interesting, the world says at that time that there were slaves and masters, but in the church and in God's family, there is no master or slave. There's only one master. And that was unreal. That was like blow your mind type of stuff in the first century. And they should show them honor. They should show them equality. They should show them justice because of who sits on the right hand of God, which is the Lord Jesus. All who are in Christ are equal members in the body of Christ with the same Lord. They should be concerned with their well-being. Why? Because they're brothers and sisters in Christ and they share the same Lord. And in that lifestyle that is brought out in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 3, this is the lifestyle and, and, and what roles we are given in this world, different responsibilities we are given in this world. We need to operate in those responsibilities, in those roles, in the way that we were recreated to operate, which is to operate in compassionate hearts and kindness and meekness and patience, and the word of God dwelling in us richly, the, the peace of Christ ruling in us, that we should forgive others and bear with one another. And by doing that, it brings glory to Christ. I'm going to be very quick here. Paul continues here in verse 2 of chapter 4. Pray continuously for, for, for faithfulness to Christ, the Lord of your life. Devote yourself to prayer. Why should we devote ourselves to prayer? Because it's going to be very difficult to live out in these roles and these responsibilities and doing them in a way that is honoring to the Lord. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. We have to be watchful in prayer to stay faithful to Christ, to live out the new creational lifestyle in different roles and responsibilities. In the name of the Lord, we have to be in prayer continuously to do these things that are fitting, to do these particular roles and responsibilities in a way that is fitting to the Lord, that pleases the Lord. And the reason why we struggle to do these roles and responsibilities well and to do these things that are fitting to the Lord is because we don't pray. We struggle because we don't pray continuously. We think that we can operate as Christians and faithful believers in Christ without praying, without any power. The natural self wants to be like the old man, the old woman, to operate in ways that are not what Christ is commanding us to do or calling us to do. We're not devoted to prayer. We're not watchful over our sinful habits, and we're not thankful for our new life in Christ. We become bored with Christ. We become bored with them. We'll, we'll find other ways to encourage us and motivate us to be better husbands or wives or better students, better friends, whatever it is. Whatever responsibility or roles we're put in, we're going we're gonna to do those things well by just relying on ourselves or relying on other things. Because Jesus is enough. He's not, he's, not, he's not big enough. He's not powerful enough. We're bored with him. And we tend to have spiritual apathy and we start substituting Christ with something else. When we realize that Christ is the one that is preeminent over everything and he's the one that reconciled us to his Father and he's the one that we're united with, that Christ is good for us and that God's goodness is what we should seek, that God is our provision. And obtaining Christ and obtaining God is the highest thing and the highest, uh, the highest thing you could possibly obtain is Christ. And we realize that when we have Christ, when we, we have his provision, when we have his goodness, we rely on it, we pray for it, we, re, we pray for its power in our lives. And when it's given to us, when it's continuously provided to us in prayer, we then are able to operate in those roles and responsibilities that is fitting to the Lord. That pleases the Lord. Because we recognize the power and the preeminency of Christ. 
And we pray and rely on him. The, four, the third thing is so that you may declare the mystery of Christ to those around you. Paul says here in verse 3, uh, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul kind of transitions here to the importance of prayer and evangelism. To be fruitful in our ministry, to have doors open for opportunities to make the name of Christ known to the outside world. And Paul continuously, even in Acts chapter 14, he recognizes the power of God in opening doors to him to, for him to speak the word of Christ into, into people's lives and those lives being changed by the Holy Spirit and those people being reconciled by God. I think the problem, the reason why we're not very effective in our evangelism, effective in our ministries, and effective in our lives is we don't recognize the lordship of Christ even over our own evangelism. We think we can do it on our own. We think we can do it in our own power. And if you haven't been taught that yet, you will be taught that eventually you cannot do it effectively in your own power. Even Paul could not do it effectively in his own power. He had to continually ask for prayer for doors to be open, for him to speak forth the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? That Gentiles may be adopted into the kingdom of Christ. This is the great mystery that Paul was sent into the world. He was actually sent into prison to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he suffered for the sake of making Christ's name known to declare the mystery of Christ, which is that that you who are far from God can be brought near and that Christ will dwell in you. The fullness of God in Christ will dwell in you. That you will become a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God's going to use not only your roles and not only responsibilities, but he's going to use situations for the sake of himself. This, this, go back to the song we sing, Satisfying You, Your Waves and Your Breakers. I remember your safety scheme. He uses situations and circumstances, sufferings, for the sake of his greater name. And also, he uses it to declare the mystery of himself to the outside world, to the lost. Roles and responsibilities and circumstances under the lordship of Christ. Paul says, make it, so I can make it clear and how I ought to speak. Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his role. This is his responsibility. And he recognizes, even if he's in prison, that his calling and his responsibility is to declare the mystery of Christ. That's, he, he understands that. And what Paul is also teaching us is that whatever role, whatever responsibility, whatever circumstance you're in, is an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ to the outside world. Let me, give you an ex let me, let me go to the last point here and give you an example. The eternal significance of your discipleship is the last point. Paul says here in verse 5, to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. When you live out the new creational lifestyle, when you exhibit Christ's lordship in your life, in your roles, in your responsibilities, in your circumstances, the world takes notice. Let me give you an example. Recently, uh, Robert was telling me this earlier this morning, that he, uh, for the first time in like 10 years, right? he interacted with some old friends from high school. And they said, you look awesome, man. You look really good. And, Paul, and, and Robert had an opportunity, got an opportunity to share the gospel with these men. Friends that he used to do, drink with and do drugs with, things like that. And they recognized that something was different about his life. So what, what's going on is, is that when we recognize that God puts us in situation, he puts us in roles, he puts us in responsibilities for the sake of his greater name. Why? Because he's the Lord. So when we actually operate in those things as, in ways that are fitting to the Lord and pleasing to him, the world takes notice. So when we walk in wisdom, when we walk in the new creational lifestyle, when we exhibit Christ's lordship, the world takes notice. Why? Because the world does not recognize Jesus as Lord. And when we don't recognize Jesus as Lord, it leads to discord and frustration in life. And a lot of these friends that Robert was mentioning, you could be honest, they have been frustrated and discorded with their life. Because they are on the throne, and they're directing everything in their life, and Christ isn't directing the things in their life. So when Christ is on the throne in our lives, and he is directing the things in our lives, the world takes notice. Why? Because it's vastly different. 
So that's why Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. When we think about how can we be effective as witnesses and we can take opportunities that are presented to us for the sake of declaring the mystery of Christ, make the best use of your time. Uh, There's an article in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend about Tom Hanks, and uh, he was talking about what he did during COVID. He got COVID pretty early on, but he talked about how he spent a lot of his COVID time playing solitaire. And his observation was it was, is that uh, it was a very poor use of his time. He says that uh, he's never going to play solitaire again because he has nothing to show for the effort when he played. He says, our time is limited and finite, and solitaire squanders what is precious. I've been thinking about that recently. Is how, how effective am I using my time, especially during COVID? That's been a very a huge frustration with me. I'm like, am I using my time wisely now that I have I had so much oodles amounts of time? And a lot of us aren't used to having oodles amounts of time. We didn't know how to use it. Tom Hanks made solitary and realized that was probably not a good use of his time. He even talks about he could have spent more time with friends and done other things that were far more effective and helpful to him. We think about walking wisdom towards outsiders and making the best use of our time. How do we use our time for the sake of declaring the mystery of Christ? Paul ends here talking about gracious of speech. You can walk in wisdom towards outsiders by making the best use of your time and by speaking words of gracefulness or using gracious speech. Think about this as speech that's benefiting to others, that's beneficial to those who hear When we use our words, when we use our time in a way that pleases the Lord, the world will be affected by us. Even if you're a writer and you're using, you write on social media or things, how can you write words that are beneficial to the needs of others? That is a good use of your time, and by that you are walking in wisdom towards those who are outside. I want to end with this. I think the way to kind of conclude this letter is that we need more of Christ, the Lord of all. More of his word, more of his theology, more spiritual disciplines to live out Christ's lordship over your life. If there's any challenge I want to give to this church at Redeemer, is that I want you to want more of Christ, the Lord of all. Sure, our church can probably be bigger. Our church could probably be more, more effective, I guess, at attracting other people. But that's not important, really. The most important thing for each one of us is to be to want more of Christ Jesus and his word. So because when we desire to know Christ and his word, when we want more of the Lord, we start to live out Christ's lordship over our life. And by that, we start declaring the mystery of Christ. We, by that, we find greater and deeper enjoyment in Christ. The church is called to make disciples. It's pretty simple what the church is, is, is commanded to do by Jesus. He says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, go and make services. He doesn't say, go and make ministries. He says, go and make disciples. And the church is called to, to do that. And one of our, we have four values at this church. Number one is Christ. That's why I'm saying, I want, you to, I want you to value and I want you to desire and want more of Christ. And how are you going to do that? That's the, one of the second values, is community. Is you do that in the church. The church is called to make disciples. If you are outside the church, you will not become a disciple of Christ. Christ Jesus has commanded his church to make disciples. And you, if you are a follower of Christ, ought to be in the church. Because why? Because the church is called to make disciples. The third value is character. That God is forming a family in his church. And if you are a Christian, you are a part of that family of believers. And when you are in the family, when you are situated in the church, you will, and if you desire Christ, you will become more, you will become a deeper disciple. The purpose of your discipleship, and that's the fourth value of our church, was his commission. You are to be equipped for missions and grow into the maturity of Christ. That is your purpose of your Christian faith, is to be equipped for missions and to be mature in Christ. And we are encouraged by the fact that the Lord is with us in that work. 
The Lord does not send us out to do that individually. He doesn't send us out to do that without any power. The Lord Jesus is with us. Why? Because he is the Lord, and he desires his church and his family to grow in the likeness and love of him and to grow in maturity of him. So if I can just encourage you with this, Jesus is Lord of your life. Desire to want more of Christ. I don't care what responsibilities you have. I don't care what roles you have. I don't care what situations you have. They're all different. They're all scattered. They're all, some of them are hard. Some of them are easy. It, it, it varies on different levels. Wherever, wherever you are, if you are a Christian, God has placed you there to declare the mysteries of himself. And so, as a believer, situate yourself in the church, situate yourself in the family of God, and trust in the Lord, and he will grow you into maturity, and he will use you to declare the mysteries of himself. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am so thankful, Lord, uh, to be able to preach this message. Lord, that we are your creatures, that we are your creations. You've unified us in Christ. You have saved us, Lord, from the dominion of darkness and transformed, transferred us into the kingdom of your Son and the kingdom of God. Lord, we are thankful Lord, that you've placed us in your kingdom, but as a member of a new kingdom, we have a new Lord, and that is Christ Jesus. But Lord, we know that Christ Jesus is compassionate. We know that Christ Jesus is full of grace. We know that Christ Jesus is full of peace and full of love. And we know, Lord, that we, in his kingdom, we are accepted and we are redeemed and we are reconciled. We are given a new heart. We are made into a new image, the image of Christ. And you call us to live in this fallen world as people redeemed by Christ. You have placed us in roles and responsibilities and circumstances, Lord, to make your name known. Lord, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room who are in that picture. They're, they're on the throne, and Jesus is somewhere in the circle. Lord, that is an erroneous Christian life. Christ is the Lord of all. He is the preeminent one. We are not. Lord, I pray that you would break people of that sin, because they will never be the wife or the husband or the, or the employee or the employer. They will never be the person they were created to be if you are not the Lord of their life. And Lord, for anyone in this room who is not a believer, and Christ is outside the circle in their life, that, that picture, they're on the throne, and they're directing everything in their lives, and Christ is nowhere even in the picture. Lord, I pray that you would break them of that sin. Again, Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of their life too. They're just not recognizing that. And by that, they will be judged for that disbelief. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would break them of that sin, that you would break them of that view, and that they would recognize Jesus as Lord of all and the Lord of their life, and that they would be saved and reconciled to yourself and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Pray that you would do that, Lord.